3: Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell, and uh, you know, I was talking to my guest this hour uh, about this damn cold that seems to be going along. And uh, I'll tell you something; it's it's rather annoying. And you know, people talk about government conspiracies and this, and that, and thing. Why doesn't somebody look into the conspiracy of the? of the big pharmaceuticals or the cough drop manufacturers about this darn cold that you just can't shake. Mind you, I found the best solution is gargling with Jack Daniels and just take a swig of it afterwards. It makes you feel better. I don't know if it works, but what the heck. Frank Joseph is my special guest to this hour. And uh, Frank Joseph has published more books about lost civilizations of Atlantis than any other writer in history. They have been translated into 15 foreign languages around the world. He was the editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine for 14 years, from its inception in 1993, and is currently a feature writer for The Barnes Review and Atlantis Rising. His series of foreign internet broadcast interviews with Shirley MacLaine were among dozens of similar appearances featuring Frank Joseph in the U.S. and Japan, where he was inducted into... No, I, I, I'm Frank. How do you pronounce that? Kayushu Kayushu's Savant Society, a member of Chicago's Underwater Archaeological Society and the Oriental Institute of the University of Chicago. He is a veteran scuba diver with hundreds of surface, uh, subsurface dives from the Aegean Sea and uh, Canary Islands to the Bahamas and Polynesia. He lives today with his wife Laura and Norwegian forest cat Sammy in the upper Mississippi River Valley of the United States. Joining me now is Frank Joseph. And Frank, welcome back to the Exxon. Great having you with us again.
2: Thank you very much, Rob. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be back here.
3: So what have you been up to since you and I last uh, chatted?
2: Well, what has most uh, concerned me, I suppose, is all of the talk about the 2012 prophecy that is looming ahead in just less than, about two years now, almost two years from now, And uh, I was particularly interested in that because I knew nothing about it, but Mm -hmm. I was like everybody else, I was interested, and I read a number of books about what is supposed to happen. And of course, it involves the end of the Mayan calendar. The calendar is supposed to end, and the end of the calendar is associated with some kind of a global event, supposedly. And I found that all of these books that have been published and are being published about the 2012 prophecy, they're all worthwhile. They all have something to say. Uh, They're not as contradictory as they may seem. They just offer different points of view on what might happen. But I did find that these books lacked uh, something. And they all lacked what did the Maya calendar really say? What did the Maya themselves really say was going to take place at uh, the sunrise of the winter solstice, December 21st, 2012? And so uh, I spent some time trying to research what the Maya in fact really said about that, and I recalled my first trip to Mexico back in 1986. Uh, I went to Uxmal and Chichen Itza and a number of other Maya ceremonial Mm -hmm. centers, the ruins of these wonderful cities, and it was then that I was introduced to the Mayan calendar. That was the first time that I heard of it. This was before it was really popularly known, mostly in the beginning of the 1990s, and based on that information, uh, I wanted to posed two questions in writing my book, it's called Atlantis in 2012. And the two questions posed in that book are, again, what did the Maya really say about 2012? And two, what are the chances of something that they said were going to happen really coming to pass at that time? What does science have to say mm-hmm. about that? And so that's all well, those two premises that uh, I based the book
3: on. All right, Frank, stand by. You and I have to take our first commercial break. Great talking to you again. For Exxon Nation, Frank Joseph is my special guest. www.mysticvalleymedia.com And uh, Frank and I will return on the other side of this two-minute commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Frank Joseph is our special guest. Once again, the website to visit www.mysticvalleymedia.com Frank and I return on the other side of this two-minute break. Don't go away.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast, but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you.
3: Exxon Nation, a good friend of the Exxon, Frank Joseph, is our special guest at this hour. We're talking about uh, the Maya calendar and uh, the 2012 connection. And, And Frank, why is it that so many people are looking at the end of the Mayan calendar, December the 21st, 2012, as the end of the world, the apocalypse, the day that the world is just going to cease to exist?
2: Well, I think a lot of nonsense has been put out about that, um, and maybe not so much nonsense. Uh, One of the things, I think, reason why people are doing this, I can only speculate, Mm -hmm. is that we live in uh, a period of the disintegration of established forms. Uh, Our economy is uh, unraveling, and you have things like General Motors and uh, Fannie Mae and all these other pillars of our society just crumbling. And I think people feel that uh, perhaps the basis of these uh, great institutions was faulty to begin with, morally faulty, ethically faulty. And uh, feelings of apocalypse are usually accompanied uh, feelings of social guilt, I guess. That's the only way I can put it. Uh, but the Maya really did say uh, some rather uh, dire things uh, for the future. I must say. Uh, One of the things I learned is that, first of all, there is no Maya calendar, in the sense that we understand it. They they did not make a calendar, like something you put on your wall to tell you what days are coming up, what days have passed. They did not make a calendar. What we're talking about is an almanac, like a farmer's almanac, and that's what this is. The Maya did not invent this almanac. They inherited it, this is according to their own sources. When I was visiting Yucatan and Uxmal and these other great places down there, I learned and subsequently validated in the research that I did that the Maya regarded their entire civilization as inherited, that it was brought to them from across the sea by a a culture bearer they referred to as the feathered serpent, and that this concept of a uh, foreign visitor who was in possession of a very high technology It was known before the Maya to a people called the Olmec, and it was known after the Maya by the Aztecs and Zapotecs and Toltecs and so forth under different names. The Aztecs called him Quetzalcoatl. Uh, The Toltecs called him Gucomants, but it all means the same thing, the feathered serpents. And that name, apparently, refers to a title that he had and a kind of headgear that he wore. That's all we know pretty much for sure. And it was this figure at the very dawn of civilization in the Americas, in Mexico, who brought with him all of the high culture of a former civilization. And they referred to this place, the Aztecs did, as Aztlan, A-Z-T-L-A-N, which means the field of reeds. A reed was used as an ink pen, mm-hmm. and it was a symbol of great uh, wisdom, literacy. So if you had a whole field of reeds, it was a place, it was a, an allegory, in other words, a metaphor for a place of great uh, learning, and this Aztlán. Now, this is the Mesoamerican records. Oh, this is the Aztecs and the Maya said. I don't make this up. That Aztlán suffered a natural catastrophe, and the Feathered Serpent, his family and followers, mostly what they called sorcerers, fled Aztlán, the field of reeds before it sank into the sea, and they came onto the shores of Yucatan and bequeathed to the natives. The um, high technology of astronomy, uh, social organization, medicine, and the Mayan calendar, so-called calendar, this almanac. This story we find, as I say, consistently throughout Mesoamerica. Mesoamerica is an archaeological term. It refers to all those high cultures, mm-hmm. the Maya, the Aztecs, and right. so forth, who made up Middle America. So what we're talking about is not a Mayan calendar, what we're talking about is is a mesoamerican almanac and that maya claim only not to have invented this but to have perfected it to have tweaked it and worked on it just as other subsequent cultures in mesoamerica did and that's how i am able to figure in the Atlantis story because it sounds from the, Meso- from the mesoamerican sources from the maya themselves that they inherited their culture from a very atlantean type of uh, story on the other side of the world the egyptians were very similar. They also claimed that their civilization was inherited by people who came from an island in the Atlantic Ocean, and their followers were led by a man by the name of Thaut, T-H-A-U-T. The Greeks called him Hermes, the Romans called him Mercury. And he possessed with him the emerald tablets of civilization. This island that the Egyptian forefathers came from is described in the Book of the Dead you can get it from Dover and a number of other publishers. Excellent translations. And the island is referred to in Egyptian as Sekerat-Aru. Well, Sekerat-Aru is interesting because translation of Sekerat-Aru is field of reeds. Exactly the same <laughs> that the Aztecs referred to the founding fathers civilization. And the Egyptians also used a reed identically as an ink pen. And the field of reeds was also synonymous for a place of great learning so now we jump forward in time to about before uh, we do that
3: can i I just ask you a a quick question here something just something just triggered in my mind when you were talking about the reeds this the story about moses you know being found in in the bulrushes and the reeds could this be a metaphor pertaining to the same thing we're talking about here
2: that's wonderful you bring that up. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the The biblical story of Moses, as a matter of fact, has been repeated in, in earlier cultures hmm. that preceded the Hebrew culture. Uh, there is the Assyrian culture that talks about the same story. They have different names, of course, right. for their prince. The Babylonian version is an early version, and there is an Egyptian, an early dynastic version, also of a prince who is found in a field of reeds, and he later uh, matures uh, to become a very great leader of his country. Um, most people don't understand that the Old Testament especially is really a mosaic, a collection of these Near Eastern stories that are given a Hebrew twist, that they, are, they were not invented by the Hebrews. Right. Scholars under, understand this now. This is not to detract from them in any way. It just means that they were able to preserve. matter of fact, it's to their credit that they preserved these wonderful stories, and put their own um, spin on it, uh, emphasis on spin on them exactly for their own purposes.
3: We, we also notice the the same thing between Greek mythology and Christianity.
2: Well, Greek mytho- not Greek mythology so much, I wouldn't say, but Greek spirituality. The Greeks had a number of uh, mystery schools, and mm-hmm. some of those mystery schools, like some, some of the ones that Plato talked about also, uh, foreshadow Christianity in some regards. Christianity was also a mosaic idea that took bits and pieces of previous uh, religious concepts, like Atis, for example, uh, the Greek Atis is very much like Jesus who dies on a cross and ascends into heaven and so forth and um, it 's just the general I think swing of mankind that these ideas mature they're not these my ideas are never developed in a complete vacuum they're always influenced by precursors in some way or another. And the story of Moses is most definitely that. Well, yeah. Moses also has these tablets that he brings. That's out, right, he? yeah. He has the power of the, of, of the gods, of God, of Yahweh, and uh, to transform the world. Well, it's exactly the same, much older story of Thout who arrives in Egypt with these emerald tablets that have all the sacred writing on them. It's, it's an amazing story. And, matter of fact, the same story again in uh, Mesoamerica. Uh, the Toltec version was, uh, they called him Votan. That's a really interesting name, isn't it? it
0: sure is. Votan
2: was a great flood survivor, and he supposedly had not tablets, but he had uh, hides, animal hides, on which were inscribed all this great wisdom, uh, later hidden in a cave somewhere. Interesting. Interesting uh, material, to be sure. There's, I think that all these myths are recollections by preliterate peoples of very important things that happened to them. And it's preserved as the only way they could, since they did not have writing. They preserved them in uh, stories and myths. That's why they endure over thousands of years. They enshrine not facts, but truths. And that's why they endure. And anyway, uh, as far as the Maya are concerned, the Maya, though, they developed this calendar that they had received. And the theme of my book is, and I hope to have shown a lot of uh, information to this idea that Atlantis was a real place, achieved uh, very high levels of culture, and it suffered a natural catastrophe. Some of its survivors arrived uh, in the Valley of Mexico, on the shores of Mexico first, and they helped to... They did, in fact, spark Mesoamerican civilization, and they invented this calendar or almanac, which the Maya subsequently uh, developed and used in their own society. And um, the story of this almanac is based on four natural catastrophes, they said. Four global catastrophes. And the most recent of these catastrophes they referred to as Taya or the Great Flood, which brought uh, Quetzalcoatl. Hmm. And that uh, 5,123 years after this flood, the Maya calendar was to end. The great cycles of nature were to end. This is what the Maya are saying now. This is not my interpretation or anybody's interpretation. And it's amazing that they did pick this date of December 21st, 2012, our equivalent of 2012. It's amazing because we do know that something is going to happen on that day. I'll get to that uh, later. Hopefully I have time for that. Sure we will. And the Maya said that what will happen on that day, as the sun rises on the 21st of December 2012, will be not only the end of their calendar, they just won't run out of time, but that Yokte and his nine servants will descend on the world. We know that's what they say because a written inscription, so far the only known written inscription of what the Maya said would happen has been found on the Mexican border in Chiapas at a very small Mayan shrine. And this inscription, which is mutilated, don't have it completely, but it does say that, that. was found I guess about 10 or 15 years ago. Well, who is Bolignac Day and what are his nine servants? What's that? Why don't now, we talk,
3: don't we talk about that on the other side oh, of the okay. news, Frank? Please stand good. by, buddy. Always great uh, having Frank Joseph with us. Very interesting uh, gentleman. Good friend of the XO. And his website, MysticValleyMedia.com. And uh, Frank and I will be back on the other side of this news break. Don't go away. This is John Hogue, Prophecy Scholar, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the X-Zone. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell.
4: The continent of Atlantis was an island which lay before the great flood in the area we now call the Atlantic Ocean. So great an area of land that from her western shores, those beautiful sailors journeyed to the south and the North Americas with ease in their ships with painted sails. To the east, Africa was her neighbor across a short strait of sea miles. The great Egyptian age is but a remnant of the Atlantean culture. The antediluvian kings colonized the world. All the gods who play in the mythological dramas and all legends from all lands were from fair Atlantis. Knowing her fate, The Wait they-
3: Frank Joseph is our special guest. Exonation. www.mysticvalleymedia.com. And uh, Frank, always great having you with us. Thank you very much for joining us tonight here on the Exxon. My pleasure. Frank, before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about the Maya, the Mayan calendar, or should we call it the Mayan almanac? And, and there's going to they they're saying that someone is going to be returning on December the 21st, 2012, and I was wondering if you could give us more details into that.
2: Right. The figure that they're talking about is Bolanyakte and his nine servants. Well, Bolanyakte is the Mayan god of hell. He is their Satan, who's rarely seen. He's the epitome of destruction, the worst thing that can possibly happen, and his nine servants represent the nine levels of hell. Um, They say that this is going to happen. There's going to be trouble with the sun. He's going to come out of the sun, a a black area of the sun, and he's going to end time. Everything will be totally destroyed, wiped out. It will be the end of everything. This is what the Maya are saying. It's as as dire as one could uh, possibly uh, imagine. The Maya never said this about anything else. They said that their calendar would not resume afterwards because there'll be nothing left. There'll be a final, total destruction of mankind. They referred to this period. They gave it a name, actually, Nahui Olen, or For Olen, or For Earth. Uh, this is the name of the end of our, uh, what they call, a sun. It's a period of time lasts 5,123 years. We are now in the fifth sun, uh, called Nahui Olin. Well, that sounds pretty terrible. Sure does. However, uh, the Maya said that this is not inevitable, uh, that it will definitely happen. The, the, they never talked about the destruction of the world, uh, or of the earth. They talked about the destruction of mankind, and a uh, really rough time with Bolanyote. Uh Balonyote is a, a metaphor, it's a, a poetic way of saying that this is we're going to be toast. However, the Maya said that it can be avoided if human beings return to the natural law. They said that these periods of destruction that the earth goes through are caused by human beings when they uh, get out of sync with the law of of God, and that the law of God, or the will of God, is expressed in natural law. And that when human beings stray from natural law, the natural law snaps back and brings human beings to the brink of extinction. This time, though, there'll be no brink. Uh, there'll be no second chance uh, is the end. However, um, the Maya said that if, human beings as a whole. This doesn't mean every one of us, but they did say that if society begins to uh, ameliorate itself, then this catastrophe can be avoided, because they said that the previous catastrophes uh, were caused by human beings uh, becoming self-indulgent and so forth. So, that's what the Maya really said. That's not uh, some take on it. It sounds pretty bad. They said, number one, there'd be trouble with the sun, and that Bologna is a kind of solar demon. Now what's interesting, Now, I wanted to find out uh, beyond this generalization, well, is, what, are, what do scientists say, what do scholars say yeah. about something happening in 2012? And I did find out an incredible thing, and this is not my discovery at all, it belongs to a fellow by the name of John Major Jenkins, who's done superb work
3: in fact, uh, we had uh, we had John on last week.
2: Oh, he's a brilliant. Yes, he he's a brilliant creature. Um, and the only thing I disagree with him on his science is fabulous. There's no, no. way I could even be, de, begin to debate him on his science. His math is superb, uh, but his uh, interpretation of the of the Maya, uh, what they really said about that, uh, I, I disagree with him on that. I just go on what the sources say. Of course. And he is able to show that on the sunrise of the winter solstice, December 21st, 2012, an event will take place, which takes place, astronomers tell us, every 26,000 years, or perhaps never again will happen, it never has happened. And that is where the solar ecliptic and the galactic ecliptic form a cross in the sky. Now what does that mean? The solar ecliptic is the path of the Sun across the sky as seen from the Earth. The galactic ecliptic is the plane of our galaxy as seen also from the Earth. And it's a kind of an illusion. It just doesn't mean anything in itself. The interesting thing is that this cross, when it appears, will form in its crosshairs, as it were, something known as the Dark Rift. And the dark rift is this area associated with the center of our galaxy. It's made up of, well, we don't know what it's made up of. uh, Astronomers believe it's some kind of dark matter. But this cross that appears in the heavens, the morning of the winter solstice, uh, will go right over the dark rift. And the dark rift is where Bolanyate is supposed to come flying out of. Now, for the Maya, or the Atlanteans or whoever, but at least the Maya anyway, to have predicted from the perspective of over 2,000 years ago an astronomical event that will take place on that day is absolutely astounding. How they could have predicted something that takes place only every 26,000 years, or maybe never takes place except this one time, is absolutely mind-boggling.
3: Do you have any idea whatsoever how they did it?
2: it, It is only open to the wildest speculation. There is no way they could have observed the heavens over the course of twenty six thousand years to have determined Mm -hmm. the only way i can suggest i might be completely wrong is that they were remote viewers who were able to extend their consciousness not only over space but over time and they applied remote viewing for remote viewing for our listeners who are not familiar with this term remote viewing is the ability to through meditation and through guided meditation to transform your consciousness so much that you can go beyond space and time, that you can see things, as it were, in the mind's eye, which physically you could not see. Now, this is not New Age uh, craziness. Uh, the U.S. government has spent literally millions of dollars yeah. on remote viewing. It was a Stargate project which began, I believe, in the 1970s, if I'm not wrong, that extended all the way up into the end of the 20th century and supposedly is still going
3: on. And, of course, Russell Targ, who's been on the show, was was part of that project. And, you know, he he was one of the one founders, of, the founders of, of remote viewing. G- quick question for you. Once again, you've triggered something. The cross in the sky on December the 21st, 2012, is there a connection between that cross and the symbolism... Of the crucifix in Christianity.
2: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? That uh, it sure is. Christ, Christ died, you know, in order for, to fulfill his mission and to transform the world.
3: As well as to fulfill the prophecy.
2: As to fulfill a prophecy. I think that we're headed for a period in which a lot of these apparently divergent traditions uh, are finding a commonality. But in any case, uh, we do know for sure that this event, the cross of the galactic and the solar ecliptic, will, in fact, form a cross in the sky over the dark rift. I mean, that in itself is amazing. Now, what will that mean in itself? Nothing. Uh, It's only uh, an illusion, as it were. Nonetheless, it's highly significant. Mm -hmm. So then I began to look uh, further and to see, well, can we expect any dire consequences uh, of, of what we're told to happen? Like some of the books about 2012 are saying that there'll be an asteroid collision with the Earth, or that the sun will have a great solar flare that will incinerate the Earth and so on, blah, 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 or the AIDS epidemic is going to wipe us all out. Um, I looked into all these things. I found that although the Earth is in a kind of a shooting gallery, to be sure, as regarding uh, meteorotic material and asteroids and so on, there's nothing really expected. No, There's no indication that the sun is going to have a great solar flare and incinerate us. There's no indication that we're going to have an asteroid collision or a meteorite collision. could happen, but unlikely. Uh, the AIDS epidemic, who can say, but it's got a long way to go before it wipes us all out after 2012. Other books, of course, insist that 2012 represents the exact opposite, that there'll be the new golden age, that there'll be peace and love and harmony everywhere, and that um, we can look forward to a positive transformation of the world. Um, Well, the way things are going right now, we better get our act together pretty quickly. I don't really see a golden age looming in the next 24 months or so. Um, and besides, the Maya did not speak about a golden age at all. The exact opposites, the worst possible dark age, uh, leaving only the possibility that if humans did get themselves together in time, they could avoid it. That's what the Maya said. I did, however, find a number of possibilities. We don't have time to enumerate all of them. Uh, they're enumerated in my book, however. And, but the, of all of the possibilities, Real possibilities for trouble with the sun in 2012 is something known as a Carrington event. The Carrington event, for our listeners, I'm familiar with this, goes back to the year 1859. At that time, the telegraph was only 15 years old, Hmm. and the only places in the world where there were telegraphs were in Canada, United States, and Western Europe. On September 1st, 1859, all of the telegraph wires across North America and Europe burned up. They caught fire. They were incinerated, fried, for no reason whatsoever. Just went down. Nobody was badly hurt. There were a few people that were burned, um, not too seriously, and the wires were eventually repaired. But what on earth could have possibly happened? So the U.S. government commissioned leading scientists of the day to investigate the problem, because it a very serious problem, of course, and to find out what had happened. Well, by the time they got to work on this, the U.S. Civil War broke out. And so people's attention uh, was elsewhere. One of the scientists that worked on this problem was, named, uh, was the name of Richard Carrington. He's a very brilliant creature. We don't know anything about him today. We're more familiar in our society with... Uh, the likes of Tiger Woods and so forth, that's more important to us apparently than uh, people like Richard Carrington. But uh, Richard Carrington nonetheless determined that a major solar event was responsible for interfacing with the magnetosphere of our planet and then interfaced with the telegraph systems and overloaded them and shorted them out. He was 100% correct. It was an amazing deduction for somebody in the middle of the 19th century to figure out. And he determined it, first of all, by observation of the Northern Lights. The evening before this event took place in 1859 was the largest known display of the Northern Lights. They were seen incredibly brilliantly as far south as Cuba, which was very unusual. And he deduced that the Uh, appearance of the Northern Lights, the Aurora Borealis, with such intensity, uh, had a definite relationship to uh, what had happened. It wasn't until the beginning, the very beginning of the 20th century, where science had advanced a little further, where they determined that Richard Carrington was absolutely right. They understood a lot more about the magnetic qualities of the sun and the magnetic qualities of the Aurora Borealis. The Aurora Borealis is like your... The cathode ray, cathode ray tube in your television set. When you turn it on,
4: mm-hmm.
2: it's where uh, elect- uh, 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 electromagnetic ions are stimulated and form a light in the picture.
3: Frank, stand by. You and I have got to take our final break for the Sour Exone. Okay. Nation. Frank Joseph is our special guest, www.mysticvalleymedia.com, and we'll be back on the other side. Wrapping up tonight here on the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Once again, for more information on Frank Joseph, visit mysticvalleymedia.com we'll be back on the other side of this break don't go away Explanation. Our special guest this hour is uh, Frank Joseph. His website is www.mysticvalleymedia.com. The name of his new book is Atlantis and 2012. Uh, time's going by very fast. Frank, as always, great having you with us. Uh, how would we like? To, how would you like to conclude this uh, this hour?
2: Well, just by saying that a, a Carrington event, uh, which mm-hmm. is this tremendous amount of magnetic material, electromagnetic material that's shot out by the sun could happen again on the winter solstice of 2012 because uh, we are expecting major solar activity, astronomers tell us, throughout 2012. It's conceivable that uh, a Carrington event would take place. Our society is built entirely on electricity now. It would short out our entire electrical grid and that could conceivably short out our civilization as well. It would not harm the Earth, but it would certainly topple Western civilization. And that's the basic thesis behind the book: is that a Carrington event is uh, possible for 2012. It is inevitable that a Carrington event will happen again in the future, and it might. If it does happen on 2012, then the Maya uh, apparently were proved right after all.
3: All right, let me let me play the devil's advocate here. What happens if nothing happens, December 21st, 2012, and life continues as it does today?
2: Uh, two things uh, I interpret that as one, that humanity has been, as a whole, able to pull itself together somehow, according to what the Maya would say. Mm-hmm. That's what the Maya would say. If nothing happens at all, that means that humanity, its better parts, are beginning to triumph. There's a beginning, uh, a, an awakenment going on. This doesn't mean all of us, or even most of us, but this is a general trend in that direction. Or, I believe, quite honestly, personally, that 2012 marks a delineation of some kind. I do believe that we are going to see some kind of change or fundamental shift that's going to take place after that time. I don't believe it's possible, well, it is, it is possible, but unlikely, that something will happen on that particular day. It might, but I think that in the future we're going to look back on 2012 as a kind of delineation, as a mark in the sand of some kind.
3: If the Maya are right, the question is going to be, how did they know? How do we answer that?
2: That is the amazing thing. Um, I only postulate that they were able to they reached a very high level of remote viewing, which we are now only able to begin to understand, yeah. and that I think that they were able to uh, project their consciousness beyond space and time. It's conceivable. I don't know that for a fact, but I think that they were capable of such a thing because we are now capable of it.
3: As I said, Frank, it's always great having you on the show. Um, Congratulations on another great book, and I look forward to the next time. Please, let's make it a lot sooner than it has been in the past when you rejoin me here in the Exxon.
2: Absolutely, Rob. We'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely do it again a lot sooner. It'll be a lot of fun. It Frank, always is.
3: Frank, take care of yourself, my good friend, and uh, once again, congratulations, and keep up the great work.
2: Thank you very much, Rob, and you too. You keep up the great work. Thanks, Great pardon. work on the radio.
3: Thank you. Exonation. Nation, Frank Joseph, has been my guest this hour. He's the author of Atlantis and 2012. His website is www.mysticvalleymedia.com. Dot com. That's www.mysticvalleymedia.com. Well, that's it for tonight, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity of thanking you, the members of the Exo Nation, for allowing us to be part of your day or night, no matter where you are in this great big world of ours. Uh, and, and you know what? It's that time of the year, so if you can dig into your pockets and help the people at your local shelter, your food bank, or your neighbors, please do. Whether, you know, people need clothing, people need food. If we could only take this Christmas spirit and carry it on throughout the year, what a great world this would be, and I believe in us, Exxon Nation. So until tomorrow night, always remember to keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night now.